he saved that kid and immediately got French uh, citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, that's really great. I'm glad he got that. He deserved it. But it's like, man, yo, y'all don't care for us if we're not doing some extraordinary, like, mm-hmm. saving lives and giving you World Cups type things, yeah. you know? Um, and, like, that was, like, that feeling was really heavy when I was there. Like, I really just felt it. And I was like, I was like, man, I want to come back to Paris, but, like, do I like y'all? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your food's not good. <laughs> and y'all are not nice. So, <laughs> I don't know if I want to come back. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hello, hello! Happy New Year! Welcome back to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Stacy as the guest. I'm also really excited to be able to talk to you today because this obviously is the first episode um, of Young, Gifted, and Abroad in 2019. Um, so it feels good to be back. Um, I realized that today, January 15th, is also uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Uh, I didn't plan it out that way. It just it was something that I came across <laughs> in the process of putting this episode together. It was like, huh, that's nice. <laughs> so if Martin Luther King were still alive today, he would be turning 90 years old um, on this day, January 15th. So that's pretty cool. Um, but back to this episode. So Stacy, Stacy is my guest for today, and I have my friend Brian to thank for putting us in touch with each other. Brian was the guest on episode 14 of Young, Gifted, and Abroad. And when I mes- messaged him a, f- a couple months ago to see if he had anyone to recommend, he recommended Stacy. And um, they were in the same Masters of Public Health program, became good friends, and so. Um, that was the first person that came to his mind to recommend to me and I'm so thankful for it because we had a great conversation. Um, Stacy is so outspoken and genuine and um, yeah it was a real lighthearted conversation that we were able to have. Um, now Stacy, she's originally from Kenya. She moved over here, went over to the States when she was 13 and um, has been here ever since. Um, but in undergrad, she developed an interest in, in public health, and that led her to participate in a program uh, which had her and a lot of other people from uh, elite universities going to India, South Africa, and Brazil over a four-month time span, uh, studying global public health and doing research. and interacting with local people and of course having a little fun as well so we talked a lot about that we also talked about uh, Stacy's experience coming from Kenya and the differences she noticed in um, you know going to school back in Kenya versus going to school here and also her um, her upcoming plans speaking of her plans uh, talk about in this auspicious day right so um, today January 15th Unless the date changed, but today, January fifteenth, is supposed to be the day that Stacy moves to Ethiopia 
She's starting a, um, a new phase in her life and in her career, which is super exciting. Um, so Stacy, whenever you get a chance to listen to this, because I know you're probably busy uh, getting prepared and everything, but I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you like this episode. I'm going to say this now instead of at the end. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I really had a nice conversation with Stacy. And I really hope you enjoy it too. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Stacey Nganga. Yeah, it's it's great to um, have you as a guest. I really appreciate you for agreeing to, to be a guest on this podcast. And um, Oh yeah, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, so why don't we start with you introducing yourself, if you don't mind. Introducing myself. Okay, so my name is Stacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated from Lafayette College with a neuroscience degree. And while I was um, at Lafayette, I decided that I wanted to go abroad because I was sick of Lafayette and <laughs> So I decided that I was going to do a global health program, um, and that was really my introduction into global health. So I decided that I wanted to do a global health program that took me to three countries. It's called IHP, International Health Program, Mm -hmm. I mean, International Honors Program, and it took me to India, Brazil, and South Africa, and that was really my first introduction into traveling abroad as, like, a student and at a capacity where you're learning and not just visiting as a tourist. Um... And so I did that, and then I came back, and I was like, I mm, don't really want to be a doctor anymore. I'm going to go to public health school. Um, and so I went to public health school, and last year I did my practicum in Kenya for a month. Mm. Um, and so in between that, I've also gone abroad individually as a, as a tourist in Jamaica and, and the DR, the Dominican Republic. So I have about six countries under my belt now trying to make it the whole world eventually yeah (laughs) we'll see how that goes um (laughs) and (laughs) and in a couple weeks i'm moving to ethiopia for a job um, okay i graduated in may yeah i graduated with my master's in public health in may and so in january i'm moving to go to uh go to ethiopia at a capacity at a job capacity wow wow congratulations on the on the new job and the upcoming move Thank you. That was such a stressful time of my life. Never been so stressed in seven months ever. But that was, <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I've ever felt so depressed. But it was cool. Yeah. I have a job. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, wow. And you, okay, so Lafayette, is that Louisiana? Oh, no. Lafayette College is, um, is in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, my bad. <laughs> Right. No, no, no. It's okay. It's a really, it's a small liberal arts college that not a lot of people know unless they're from the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's um, it's an engineering, it's interesting because it's an engineering school, mm-hmm. but it's a liberal arts college. So that's, it's kind of confusing for most people, but it's cool. <laughs> okay. Nice. And I think you told me that you, were you born in Kenya? Yes, I was. Oh, I completely skipped that. Um, <laughs> jumped right into school. Um, yeah, I was born in Kenya, and I moved to the States when I was 13. And I've been living here ever since. Wow. And last year was the first time I actually got a chance to go back. 
um, since coming here. So it had been nine months, nine years. Mm. I wish it was nine months. <laughs> um, it had been nine years. And so, <laughs> um, so it was really good. It was really good to see all the people back home I hadn't seen in years. I reconnected with one of my friends from middle school. Mm-hmm. So that was really amazing because I hadn't seen anybody since I moved here and I hadn't really kept in touch with them except via like WhatsApp. We have a WhatsApp group, which mm-hmm. is like the most amazing thing um, <laughs> of all of us from middle school. It's kind of funny, but it's great. <laughs> Keeps us updated. Um, and so, yeah, it was really good to connect with one of them when I went back home. Yeah. Good. That's really nice. I'm glad you were able to reconnect with them. Me um, too. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, okay, so you moved when you were 13. How was that adjustment for you? Did you move for your parents... Like, did they come here yeah. for, like, a degree or for work, and that's how you ended up moving here? Oh, no, my parents moved here before me. Oh, okay. So they had been here a couple of years before I moved here. Okay. Um, the adjustment was interesting. I mean, I don't know, because I wasn't culture-shocked, I guess, because I've watched so many American movies. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I wasn't culture-shocked. Um, and... I wasn't bullied, which was a blessing. Real, like, now that I look back on it, I realize that's a blessing because a lot of African kids do get bullied. But I came here towards the end of eighth grade. Um, so basically, I, I was here from ninth grade because it was, I moved in April, school ends in June. I didn't get to school till like May because mm-hmm. I had to do all that, you know, the application and all of that. So basically, I was in eighth grade for a month and then I went to high school. But, yeah, when I went to high school, I think it was interesting because our high school was very diverse. Um, and it wasn't like a stereotypical high school where, I guess, this clicks of like, oh, these are like the nerds, or oh, these are the music theater kids, or oh, these are the um, athletic kids. It was kind of more integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who were in theater were also playing sports. People who were in sports were also doing band, like all of these things. So... Um, but it was a very big school. It was 3,000 kids, and I think that's probably how I got away with being African and not bullied. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but I it wasn't too bad. I made friends. Um, and I really didn't have much of an issue um, academically. Mm-hmm. Um, socially, I was fine. Um, but now that I see my, I have a little, I have a younger sister, and she's just now in ninth grade. She's finally in high school, mm-hmm. and I feel like, oh, she's having a much better experience than I did, simply because she grew up here and yeah. she's known these kids all her life. Um, but I was used to moving on a lot, even in Kenya. So in Kenya, it's, the system is very different from here, um, where you go to whatever school your parents can afford to take you to. Mm-hmm. So people don't go to the same school as the people in their neighborhoods. People don't grow up with the same kids because you're constantly changing school. So for me, it was, like, very typical of me to, like, not know anyone hmm. and then, you know, make friends and then, you know, move on to the next group. Yeah. But with her, I, the other day we were talking and she was like, I don't know what <laughs> prompted her, but she was just like, how do you make friends? Like, you're just going to go to college and make friends? And I was like, yeah, that's how life goes <laughs> and she's like oh and then I realized it's a question for her because she's never had to make friends like mm-hmm. she grew up with all of these kids yeah and all her life she's seen the same people the same friends and I never had to do that like I was always moving to schools always making friends and it made me more social but yeah like now looking back I'm like wow 
that really is a thing for kids in America. They don't know how to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, anyways, um, it was cool. Um, I, I really enjoyed being with my family again. Um, it was like a whole learning curve because I hadn't lived with, like, my parents or for a long time. So it was a whole learning curve, learning to integrate into that. But also, like, you know, just the school system and winter. Oh, my God, winter. <laughs> I still complain about winter. <laughs> it's been 10 years. Yeah. Still don't like it. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it was cool. It was yeah. good. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made. I never really considered the the idea of, like, going to school with the same people from, like, elementary school all the way through high school being such a something that might be specific to the u.s (laughs) Uh, yeah and honestly like it all made sense because i was like man when i first got here i was like oh people are friends in classes but like it doesn't it doesn't move forward like you're like friendly in class and then when you get out it's like you don't know each other and i was like what is up with that Mm. it's because they already have established friendships they don't care Mm. and it's like they just you're there for the moment and then you move on to um, the next class and make different friends in that class but then that friendship does not move on from that like it ends when class ends and then you you know what I mean and I was like I thought that was very very odd but then I got used to it and then I got to college and I had all these international friends right so I had been here for four years at that point Mm -hmm. and they were like yo what's going on like how do people (laughs) talk in class but like doesn't they don't meet up afterwards like it just ends and I was like yo I don't understand but this is an American thing I guess because (laughs) it's how it is you just gotta get used to the fact that like the friends you make in class like they'll be friendly towards you but then after class is over it's a dub like it's over (laughs) like he kind of does not move forward until you know but yeah I don't know it's interesting something Mm -hmm. that I I think now I'm so used to it I don't even notice it anymore but when I think back on it I'm like oh yeah this is kind of odd (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 um and so when you when you went to when you went to college you had originally plans on going into medicine being Mm -hmm. a doctor um Mm -hmm. Was that something you had wanted to do? Like, was that, like, a lifelong dream of yours? Or Oh, my God, yes, since I could remember. I think since probably fifth grade. Before that, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to go to the moon. I <laughs> loved space, everything mm-hmm. about the space, about stars and planets. I was like, ooh, I was such a nerd. Um, <laughs> and so I love, I read all the books. I watched all the movies. I would watch the movies, and I was like, oh, I want to go meet aliens. Then... <laughs> Then I found out you can't go to the moon anymore. And I was like, oh, man, really, word? Okay, not doing this no more. Mm. So I switched and said I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, And so since, like, basically sixth grade, up until junior year of college, I was like, oh, I'm trying to be a surgeon. I'm trying to be a surgeon. So, like, that's a long time of my life. Mm -hmm. Went to be a surgeon. Um, But then I was like, oh, what happened? I think I just realized that, like, what I wanted to do, um, I couldn't do as a doctor. Like, I wanted to make differences at a political level, at a policy level, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't do that as a doctor. And even though my whole goal was, like, oh, I'm going to be a surgeon and I'm going to do things like um, Doctors Without Borders and stuff like that, like, that was not enough. And then I really got into that whole idea 
learning about the impact of you know international organizations onto this country that they go and they do the work in um you know uh the footprint that they leave behind and how that affects the, the communities and i was just like i don't know i'm not sure if i want to do that um and so i decided to go into global health uh after i did that program mm-hmm. and so yeah I, it was like a lot of i had to like struggle with a lot of things like first of all letting that dream go down and then thinking about it and be like wow i really moved my entire life wanted to do this and i don't want to do this now and i do this this thing called global health nobody really knows what it is yeah. um it's a whole mess the whole <laughs> the whole um i guess it's just the whole area is it's messed up it's like a lot of white saviorism mm. there's complexes there's a lot of um just um volunteerism which you know huge problem um i don't know if you know what all these things i'm talking about yes no i totally know what you mean (laughs) okay cool so i'm like i'm like man i don't this is where i want to be and i want to change the system but it's like i am one human being how can i change an entire Mm -hmm. system so it's been kind of a struggle on trying to figure it out um and so i was like really looking at organizations that kind of are 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 sustainable and have been living in this country like for a long time and doing work in that in the countries that are not you know short term mm-hmm. um and so just because like their whole idea of sustainability is something that's really missing i think in global health um and people just come in and go in and out in and out and like what are you doing mm-hmm. you know it doesn't help um and so even when it comes to like global charities and stuff like that i'm constantly thinking about the impact of those charities in these countries especially because i'm from kenya and i can see it right i can see it with my family back home mm-hmm how it just like first it creates dependency but then also like when it's gone you're not leaving the people who are in this country you're not giving them the tools of it that they need in order to thrive yeah. you're just throwing money at them that's not helpful um and also sometimes it, it's not even the benefit does not go to the people within the country or mm-hmm. like the people that you're trying to help like it goes to the person who's coming in for them to feel good like volunteerism yeah that is a whole thing where people have created these industries where they're like, oh, come to Africa and build a school, but it is not doing anything. That school has never been finished, or it comes with a lot of like, because um, who these people don't know how to build anything. Right. They're not like masonaries, <laughs> like you know what I mean. They're not carpenters. Mm-hmm. Just going in, and it's like, what are you doing? At the end of the day, people have to come and correct the work. Like I read this um, one article talking about how the people will come, the, the people will come. They would do their work, and then at the end of the day, someone else who was actually skilled in this would come and fix all the issues that they made. Like, so what mm. is the point? Yeah. They just paid that person. And it was just, I don't know, so many frustrations. Yeah. <laughs> so many. Um, but, yeah, so that's how I got into into global health, because I wanted to change the system, but also because I just saw that, like, this whole, comp- this white savior complex, which actually is not just white people, obviously. It's called the white savior complex, but a lot of you know, a lot of people fall into that yeah. category of like, I'm going to help, but you're not really doing anything. Yeah. Um, um, and so I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to, how to change it. And then there's this whole idea about um, research and which is important, but I noticed like I'm from Kenya and I think 80% of the papers I read that have to do with public health or global health are about Kenya. Like, the research was done in Kenya. Mm. And it's like, my goodness. Like, <laughs> what? Like, it's like, it's it's like, interesting to notice. 
how much of that work is done there but like the health system is still messed up mm. people are still dying from common diseases people still don't have access to healthcare so what are you doing to help the communities in which you have come and made your name in right like all these people have published all these papers they have uh, thrived and had success but all they did was publish a paper and didn't really try to help the community yeah. like you see what I mean yeah um uh, so I, I I struggle with that because I am in that, that field and I can see that that's helpful, but at the same time because it gives us information that we don't have. But then you look at it and you're like, oh, when you do the research, when you because I wrote a manuscript this past past year, mm. and it's like when you do the research and you read, you see a lot of these papers are duplicating what everybody else has said. Yeah. So then why you do it? Like why are you continuing? to do all of this when it's already been said it's already been published multiple times mm-hmm. you know you don't need a tenth one you don't need a sixth one we just need the three to prove that it's correct mm-hmm. like the rest <laughs> does not need to happen um and so i don't know it's like frustrating it's very frustrating because it is my job and i enjoy it and it's what i want to do but it's the ethics about how it's done that i have an issue with yeah um and it's just like this, all this kind like it's even even when we were planning on doing the research that I did that was getting published is we were, we were talking about it it's like all these people are research fatigued like all this because they there's so many people coming in asking them the same questions over and over again mm-hmm. for different publications they're fatigued they don't want to do it yeah. anymore it's like how do you create something different also like set up systems in other countries that you can go and do the research for right mm-hmm. um, but because of like Kenya's political entanglements with like America and Europe and whatever um, they have a really good base there so like that's why almost all the research goes there or to South Africa but mostly there Um, Mm. and so that's and you know it's technically a peaceful country Uh, so all of those issues I just put in one country it's like go go do some Go to do some research in Mozambique. Yeah. Go to Chad, okay? Go to like <laughs> Ethiopia. Go do this somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, do this in your own countries. You're facing all of these problems in America too. Like mm-hmm. so I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. Um I don't even know how we got to this topic. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. I, don't know how we got I think I asked you about being a doctor, and then you talked about changing your mind and going into oh, yeah, global yeah. health. Yeah. Um, no, that was all very insightful. I was just listening to you talk, you know. Um, so no, that was really good. Uh, when I was talking to Brian, oh, props to Brian by the way to, for connecting us. Yeah. I meant to say that at the, at the beginning, but you know, he said a lot of the similar things in terms of like ego and white saviorism factoring into. Oh so much yeah. actually everybody should really follow i'm gonna shout out this instagram page it's called no white saviors <laughs> everybody should listen to follow them on instagram i know all of you are on social media mm-hmm. go click that button but um yes yeah <laughs> it's a huge problem yeah for sure and i didn't know that uh there was so much um work and research focused in kenya um it's insane yeah. <laughs> wow it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> But like you said, it would make more sense to do, you know, uh, work, like, to a similar extent in other countries as well, since glo- health, or sorry, public health is like a global thing, you know? Right. But, um, yeah, it's just because, like, they don't want to set up the systems that are already set up in Kenya. Like, 
those um like the cdc headquarters in kenya is really like it's been there for years mm-hmm. like for decades you know stuff like that so because um this systems already exist it's just easier to pick kenya because they don't have to argue with a lot of things mm-hmm. they don't have to build they don't have to build that do not exist yeah but these other countries don't have that um and so it's, it's if you decide to do research in those countries it's more difficult it's more involved there's like a lot more things you have to right. you have to do in order to get this research started um and that's not those those barriers don't really technically exist in kenya because they've been there for decades mm-hmm. so like that's what i learned so i'm like okay logistically that makes sense but like dang isn't the whole point for you to make the world a better place so mm-hmm. why don't you just go and create those systems you know what i mean find yeah. a way um, because at the end of the day it's like it's very ego driven um and just wanting to 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 make a name for yourself i feel like and please y'all do not fire me <laughs> once i think this thing <laughs> but it, it is true and even even in our classes a lot of us minorities we talk about it and how the impact of like not and not just research but also all these ngos that are in these countries the other day I read about this one NGO that got like global critical acclaim for doing all this amazing work I think in Uganda mm-hmm. and it was all a sham and um, what was happening was like this women or these children because it was a girls I think it, it was a girls empowerment education something that had to do with with, with young girls in empowerment mm-hmm. um, and this person like oh man I wish I could remember the name of it right now, what the organization was called and what her name, the leader was. But she, you know, really leaned into the idea of, like, these kids have no hope. We're all they have mm-hmm. to help them. Um, and that really got her a lot of attention. Like, she, like, globally, like, she was reading awards and stuff for this organization. She was getting millions and millions of dollars, like, put into the, um, into the NGO that she created. Meanwhile, back at the NGO, the systems don't exist. The things that they're saying that they're doing are not happening. Um, the people who are working for this organization are in shambles. And then on top, to top it all, uh, the, so she she collaborated with um, a person who was Ugandan, right? So at first you're like, oh, that's amazing. She got someone from the country to, mm-hmm. to help her. That's good. But this guy, this whole time, he was sexually abusing those little girls oh my goodness right and so that's literally what kind of blew up the whole thing because he was discovered and people are like this man who you created this organization with who you've leaned into who you've paraded in front of everyone as mm-hmm. like this man who's helpful blah 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 you've paraded in front of everyone globally yeah is a monster and he's like sexually abusing these girls and they have no like it was oh man I wish I could say it was so hard to read that and it was a really long like expose it was pages and pages long mm-hmm. and i was reading it online i might send it to you if i find it again but it was like such a good example of how none of these organizations are doing the things they're supposed to be doing yeah and that and and even though they're saying their mission seems worthy they're not actually making any impact if anything they have negative impact yeah and so like that's my issue and it's like there's nobody betting these things in these countries mm-hmm. and it, the communities end up suffering and so i have a huge problem with that um 
and it just doesn't make sense like right now in Kenya there's literally what I want to say thousands there's hundreds of organizations working in Kenya right now mm-hmm. many of them doing the same thing and it's like what are you doing I don't see the impact yeah. at all like what are you doing um, people are still dying the health system still a mess um, people don't have access to healthcare like there's a lot of issues and it's and I just want, I just sit back and I'm always like all these grant makers should really just decide listen if you're doing the same thing within the same square radius you cannot we are not giving you money like going combine forces with that person mm. utilize the same resources instead of you pulling apart the resources yeah. combine forces use the resources and create something that's more sustainable but instead everybody wants to have NGO an NGO attached to the name everybody wants I don't know everybody wants to do this and it's like go find them they exist they're right there mm-hmm. maybe create something that like bring your ideas to them and see if you can combine your efforts instead everybody just wants to do individual things because yeah. that's more recognition and it just doesn't make sense to me because mm-hmm. it's like the whole system is built on ego instead of like helping people and I just don't understand at all yeah um and so like these like the grant makers I feel like the grant makers really are makers and givers the grant givers have a lot of power to kind of change that Mm -hmm. because it could easily be like no um we're not doing that because this one exists and i know it's really hard to have a database i mean to know what everything all the organizations exist but there should really be a database that has all of them listed like an accreditation accreditation is that the word something that (laughs) makes (laughs) i'm like really thinking sometimes my kenyan is comes in and I can't pronounce words (laughs) but um, you know like there should be something some sort of database that kind of is like you have to be listed on this in order for your NGO to be accredited like Mm -hmm. for it to be recognized as a real thing so that people can go in there and really see what's there yeah what exists already Um, because at the end of the day it's like yeah there's a lot of money in this world but the same hand and it could be used very effectively to create actual change instead of it being fluffed and um, being used to look like something's happening when it's really not. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I think about, uh, not just with like NGOs, but like charities too. Like there are a lot of organizations out there that do similar thing. And maybe you might think like, oh, well, the more the merrier, like the more people out there doing right. this work, the more that's the more that the work is getting done but I, I, I don't often consider the fact that as you mentioned that resource because there's so many people doing the same thing they're like thinning out the resources that are available yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah that's wait a, when I said NGOs I included the charities and stuff in that like oh yes yes under that same umbrella mm-hmm. um, which I guess I should have clarified <laughs> but oh. yeah all of them <laughs> All everything that is a non-governmental organization right, right. <laughs> goes underneath that umbrella. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and, and even research goes underneath that umbrella. Like just everything. Like, oh yeah. There's so much collaboration that needs to be done, and it's crazy because when I was doing this job hiring process, I really got to see the miscommunication that occurs in this field. Like. People within the same organization don't know what's happening. Mm. They don't even know. Like, there's just such poor communication that it's a one. It's like not a surprise that as a system there's no communication. That nobody knows what anybody else is doing. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, 
it is hard like i'm not gonna sit here and say oh it's just as simple as this no it's hard especially considering the fact that it's a global thing um that's that's a whole world like yeah. okay. you know it's hard to <laughs> it's hard it's hard to figure that out mm-hmm. but i mean at least within the same countries like there should be something telling you that this is happening here like stop or combine forces or something like mm-hmm. you know like there should be systems in place that kind of monitor what what's happening within each country yeah um and and, and i think that's also the duty of the country itself right but um, but if you're doing, if you're giving your money to any cause, like don't shouldn't you want to know, like, hey, what is happening? Like, <laughs> is this impactful? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I feel like, especially with people who have whole foundations that have like multiple workers, like three of them should be in, in charge of something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just kind of like scoping out what's there, because at the end of the day, you're giving money to things, organizations that you don't really know about yeah. and it's like you could really know about them if you just had people dedicate their lives to doing that and then especially all these um foundations that are let's say like celebrity foundations that you know like beyonce's or rihanna's or whatever like they're all separate and they all do great work but i think it's so especially like with those two people like they work together it's so easy for them to be like hey can we do something like can they collaborate like you know what i mean mm-hmm. like yeah I mean, I make it sound simpler than it is, right. but <laughs> it's possible <laughs> if they wanted. But to it's do possible, it. like if they wanted to do it, mm-hmm. it's possible to see what each other's, all their like friends are doing, and trying to fit, find a way that they can create a sustainable system. Because at the end of the day, they're gonna die, and their foundations will live on. But they want to create, they should want to create a foundation that is set on a good base that you know nobody's gonna come and upend when they're gone. You right. know. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And, okay, so I want to uh, go back to when you, um, like, were deciding to go into global, or into public health. Did mm-hmm. you, had you already known a bit about it, or was it through the program that you did, like the study abroad program that you did, that you yeah. learned what global health was, or global public health was? Yeah, that's, I, I it was through the program. Mm-hmm. I didn't really give much thought into public public health until so I went on this program because I knew it was global health right Mm -hmm. and that's when I started learning about it uh, when I was applying for the program Um, but yeah I didn't really know much and even now I I am I mean like a couple so there's this group called black ladies in public health Mm. and it's like a recurring joke where it's like oh (laughs) next time you're at the Thanksgiving dinner table as wait for someone to ask you what public health is, what answer do you give them? Like, cause like there's no definitive answer. It's mm. like a really hard concept because it, it, it involves so many different things. Like there's so many different types of positions, so many different types of things you could do within this field that it makes it difficult to define it. Um, so yeah, I didn't really know it that well and I didn't really understand it until I actually got into school and started mm-hmm. taking the classes and I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's what that is. Like, yeah. It was still very, very hard, even though I, you know, went on this program and then I applied and I did the whole application process and people were asking me, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to public health school. What is that? I can't really explain it. Like, um, and then I got to school and it's it's just very hard mm-hmm. um, to understand. But yeah, it was not until I did this program or applied, started applying to that program that I 
kind of started understanding what it is. Um, yeah. And it was good because I don't know what I would be doing if I if I hadn't gone to that program. I'm not sure I would have gone to med school. I'm not sure what I would have done, but this is kind of like my passion, so it makes mm. sense. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And the program you, you did... Was that through mm-hmm. Lafayette College, or was that through a different university or organization? Right. So the organization is is a separate thing. So mm-hmm. Lafayette is not the only school. Like it was not just Lafayette kids on this on this trip. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of us from different schools. Um, so there was people from Harvard, from Yale, from Lafayette, from Brown, from it was all the top schools from MIT, from um, like we were all in this program. We all applied to get into the, this program. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool to have that kind of like mix, mm-hmm. even though you could argue that it's not much of a mix because we are we are all mostly from um, uh, white institutes, like yeah. a lot of schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I guess you could argue that there's not much of a difference there, but that's that IHP is a diff- different entity, and we were all from different um, schools coming in. Mm. Unless we came from the same school, and even those who came from the same school didn't really know each other. It's really interesting okay. um, because you know the schools are huge, right? Only Lafayette was small, and there was three of us who were from Lafayette, and we knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody else kind of like came into it not knowing each other. But it's funny because like the ones from those of us who were from Lafayette, we didn't really like care for each other. Like we didn't really <laughs> hang out that much. Like <laughs> so, he was like. Might as well say we didn't know each other. Um, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, it was it was funny because like I played rugby with one of them, and then with the other one, we were like nemesis. Like I did not like him at all mm-hmm. <laughs> when going into this program, and I was just like, oh man, really? I really hope everything goes well because I'm stuck with this man for four years, for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything did go well. And we ended up being really good friends by the end of it. Um, and then there were like a, there were people who were I think there were two people from Harvard, but they had never met. Mm. And then there were um, a couple people. No, there was only one person from Yale. No, two people from Yale. Oh man, there were just a bunch of people. There was like I think fifteen <laughs> of us, all from different schools. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is this. a lot of us from different schools. Yeah. Okay, and this was four months. You you said you went to three different countries with this program. Was this mm-hmm. like back to back? So you went to one country yes. and then you wow. Yeah, it was exhausting. Um, it was from January to May, so a little over four months. Mm. Um, and we were in each country at least five weeks. Um, and within each country, we traveled from. We spent like two weeks in the rural areas and two weeks in the um, in the cities, because mm-hmm. what we were trying to do is trying to fight. We were trying to kind of compare the health systems at, from a rural standpoint and from a um, city standpoint. Mm-hmm. Because it's like you know, there is the formal doctrine that says this is how our public health system works. This is what's happening. This is how we've created it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like for example, I remember in India when we were learning about it, and we were like, "Oh, this sounds so good! Like so well done." But then you go and you see like the actual thing it's like it's not well done mm. so like at a policy level um it all makes sense but in actuality nothing is happening as it's supposed to be mm. happening 
Um, and so that's kind of what we're doing within each country. So in India, we went to Baraich, and then we were there for two weeks, and we were in the city, which is New Delhi, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had, like, a, a couple of days of, like, break. And then we go, we went from there into South Africa, and we went to Temba, which is a township, or one, I don't know how to explain it. We're all in the West Cape. Mm. But we went Zola Temba. Are we in Zola Temba? Yes. And then we were in Cape Town. Okay. Like the city. Um, and then from there we went to... Um, oh, wait. No, Barrach is in Brazil. What was in... You know, it's getting confusing. It's been three years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, in India we were in... Oh, my God. I got to go to my Instagram. <laughs> is this fun? <laughs> I hope this works. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. I can still hear but you, I wanna so it's fine. You, I want to give you the right information. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, all right. In South Africa, we were in Zolotemba and then Bocap in Cape Town, right? So, okay. where the township was Zolotemba, Bocap was where we're staying in South Africa. And then in India, we were in, oh my God. Please tell me I have this information here. Hmm. Yeah, I was right. It was Baraich. Baraich in India was the rural s- district. And then um, New Delhi was the city. Mm-hmm. And then in Brazil... Oh, man. Turvo. That's what it was. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I remembered. <laughs> but, okay. And, yeah. In Brazil, this we were in the rural areas of Bardeturva, which is beautiful. Oh my gosh, it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I learned about agroforestry from them. Everybody should really learn about that. It's like the integration of um, agriculture, like, um, uh, like uh, farming. You know how people farm, right? Mm-hmm. It was like the integration of that and the forest. So like, you don't cut down, cut down trees. Instead, you grow your crops around. Oh like what's already there mm-hmm. right so it's like it's better for the environment you're not cutting down trees you're getting more um fruitful abundance because the soil is not overworked um and it's like a good integration because you really learn how to how to what like what crops are better for this type of like plant versus um this is i'm forgetting the technicalities of it Basically, it's a really good concept, yeah. and everybody should do it. <laughs> um, it's called agroforestry. So I learned about that there, and oh, the food was so delicious, mm-hmm. so good, because it was so fresh and just organic, and oh, the bananas tasted different. Like, mm-hmm. they tasted better. Like, the <laughs> apples tasted better. The water was, oh, it's just amazing. Yeah. Best time. The best time of that whole trip, because yeah. it was so, it was so the um, people we were staying with were so humble and so nice, and so giving and just uh just have a light that like shone mm-hmm. shone through so i was really i really enjoyed my time there i also really enjoyed my time as well at temba it was the first time i'd been to africa since leaving mm-hmm. so i was really really excited about being among like africans like black africans yeah. around me it was amazing um but i do remember like uh breaking down because i was like man there is no place on earth where I can go and um, you know white supremacy has not reared its ugly head like in South Africa 
and I want to celebrate like my people, but all I see is like the effects of of um, colonization and um, the effects of colorism and it, like I, I think what really made me like break down was talking to so so we were in the township right Zalatemba mm-hmm. and and there's all these kids running around playing because that's not something that I miss here. It's not a thing. I feel like it's not a thing where I'm from in the suburbs, right? Um, where kids are, are all outside playing together, and mm. and everybody knows each other's kids, and they all come to like this person's house, and they're all there, and they're playing, and then they move to the next person's house, and they're all playing, and it's like it's just such a beautiful system that I had missed since being here because it's not it doesn't exist as well as it does uh, back home. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's all these kids around me, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I'm, like, happy and excited, and I'm, like, playing with them. And it's just, I just felt so at home. And then my roommate was a white girl, and she was white, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed, one of my favorite people, mm-hmm. one of my favorite people. Her name is Danielle. Um, she has, she's white, blonde hair, blue eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the stereotypical well, standard of beauty that we've, you know, that white people have kind of put up there. Yeah. Um, and this girl, this, like, beautiful South African black girl comes and she's, like, playing with her hair. And she's like, oh, your hair is so pretty. And then, and I'm looking at her, and at this point I have my natural hair and stuff. And I'm, and I'm like, watching this because I really, like, I'm, I'm really watching this. Mm-hmm. And she, and my friend goes, like, oh, but you have really pretty hair, too. And she goes... No, like she touches her and she goes, mine, no, ugly. Oh. And I could not, I could not, like I just could not. I um, went back and I was talking about it to the whole group and I broke down mm. like crying. Because I was just like, I'm home. Man, where can we go in this world right. and not have to do kind of nonsense? Like... It was it was it was such a such a um, I don't even know what to call it, but it was like it was not an epiphany, but it was it was just such a realizing moment. Like I was like, oh my god, like yeah. this it runs deep, like it it goes everywhere, like it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was the first time I had, cause you know they they don't have the N word, they have uh, I think it's. Oh my god, I forget it right now But that's good that I forget it because I don't remember <laughs> But they have their version of the N-word, right? Mm. And I think it starts with a K um, And I was called that I'm running, right? I'm in Musenberg, by the beach, beautiful ocean, blah 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 mm-hmm. I'm running with my friends And this white old man Proceeds to call me that Just because he could mm. And I did not know what to do I was like um, I'm in a different country. I don't know, cause in America I'd have been like, what? Like, mm. you, you know, I would, I would have stood my ground and been like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are you talking to? But I'm sitting here and I'm like, yo, I'm in South Africa. I don't know anybody. There's a bunch of white men next to him. Mm. I don't know how well you know Black Lives Matter works over here. So <laughs> I don't mm. know what to do. Yeah. Um. And it was like I, I just felt all this like it's the first time I really felt powerless, like in my life. Like that was the first time I felt powerless, mm. and and I just didn't know how to act. Like I didn't know what to do, and I was so bothered by that. And so it was just so crazy because I was like, man, it's the first time I'm among like Africans, 
in Africa, but I, it's like I'm in the 60s in America. Like, right. it was like the craziest thing. And it was so interesting to see how you're treated differently based on like my accent, right? So like an American accent gets me farther because I'm American mm-hmm. versus like a South African, you know? And it was just, it was so sad. It was so sad to watch. And then it was also interesting to see the different accents. So like I'm living in this household in Zola Temba in the township. And one of the girls who goes to uh, white, like one of the white schools, Mm because they have those programs where it's like you don't go to the township school, you go to, you know, one of the white schools that is now integrated. Um, But, you know, it costs more, but you can get like scholarships and stuff anyway. She goes there. She has a completely different accent than the people who are her neighbors, Mm. people she grew up with um, around her who go to the township school, the school Mm -hmm. within the township. And it was like, yikes like this is crazy it's like you speak like a british person they speak like africans Mm -hmm. (laughs) they have a typical african (laughs) accent Mm -hmm. and they're like in the same household it was such a it was such an interesting learning moment not even moment just like month because i was constantly like what the hell Mm -hmm. um and even looking back now i feel like i'm always realizing something new every time i look back i'm like wow this is crazy yeah um so yeah yeah that was interesting yeah and then in brazil um hated sao paulo the site the city was sao paulo Mm. hated it oh my god hated it i was like (laughs) i don't know if you're trying to be new york but you're not working out like it's just hated i think you just come from south africa which was beautiful like south africa is naturally like i have never been anywhere and I felt like I was walking in the painting all the time. Wow. Because it was that beautiful. It was mm-hmm. so beautiful. Like, the West Cape, I've never been to the Eastern Cape, so I don't know what Joe Bark and all the other places have been. Mm-hmm. But, like, Cape Town and the whole entire West Cape is just, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Natural mountains, like, the beaches and the oceans are, like, unlike any other I've ever been in. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's it's a dream. It's mm-hmm. literally a dream. Like, yeah. you wake up, you look outside, and you're like, wow. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's how I felt when we were driving from like the city to the townships. I'm looking and I'm like, man, this whole drive is beautiful. I don't want to sleep. Like I'm tired, but I don't want to sleep because it's so pretty. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like it was so gorgeous. It's so like I go from that to like a, a, a brick houses, not even brick houses, freaking. What do you call New York? Jungle city? What do you guys call it? Brick jungle? Oh, concrete jungle? Concrete jungle. That's it, man. Man, my words are disappearing. <laughs> but yeah, I go from this to this concrete jungle, and it's like ugliest. Oh, hell. It's like, this is ugly. Oh, I don't like this. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan of this place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think also by this point, we were all sick of each other. <laughs> We were all experiencing our own, you know, internal conflicts. Um, But yeah, Sao Paulo, I did not like it. So, you know, I did what everybody else. We had like a spring break, like a three-day weekend or whatever. Mm -hmm. We all went to, not all of us, but most of us, um, decided to go to either Rio or like um, this waterfall that's on the border of Brazil and 
um, is it Argentina? One of the borders. And it's like this huge waterfall that is like beautiful. It's like the largest in the world or something mm-hmm. like that. So some of us went to that and some of us went to Rio and some of us just stayed in Sao Paulo. Um, but I went to Rio and that was an amazing experience. And I was like, ah, oh, this is what I came for. I came to Brazil for this. <laughs> no, this concrete jungle. This, yeah. this ocean. Like, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so I was like happy again. But... <laughs> But yeah, and then I really learned that like we do not know how to party in America because <laughs> I, <laughs> when I was in Sao Paulo, I went out one night and I was like never again because they really kept me there till seven a.m. and I'm like I'm, I'm trying wow. to go to sleep, bro. I, I want to leave. <laughs> I want to go home. And it's like I remember the moment I knew I set myself up. It was like three a.m. and I was like, all right. Um, I'm trying to go. And people are like, the party has just started. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean has just started? It is 3 a.m. Homie, it is 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to go to sleep. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, that's when I knew it's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do it hard enough up here. We <laughs> lie to ourselves. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we lie that's to funny. Ourselves. <laughs> Man. Well, I'm glad you were able to find uh, some of that natural beauty that you had, you know, gotten used to in South Africa. Because the things you were saying about South Africa, I've heard people say about Brazil. So when you said it was ugly or Sao Paulo was ugly, I'm like, oh, that's I've never heard yeah. that before. <laughs> no, it's because it's Sao Paulo. Like, like I said, like Bar de Turvo was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the, the like it was gorgeous. It was mm-hmm. amazing. Um, Rio, of course, it's gorgeous. It's Rio, like. Mm-hmm beautiful but when you go to the city which is sao paulo mm-hmm. like that city itself is just it's great like i hated it yeah. <laughs> it was ugly yeah it was so ugly to me yeah. but um but it was still such a good experience because like there was so much culture even within sao paulo like just integrate it's like new york how new york there's so many cultures mm-hmm. around it was the same it was similar um and it was great food i enjoyed the food um one thing I will say that, like, when I went to India, because, like, I, my cuisine, not in Kenya, but, like, my family's particular cuisine, because it's very influenced by the coastal cuisine, the Kenya coastal cuisine, which is very much integrated with Indian mm-hmm. food. Um, so I was really excited about going to India and eating all of the Indian food, and then I went there, and I was like, wow, this is nothing like what <laughs> I was sold in Kenya. I was mm-hmm. lied to. <laughs> it doesn't taste like this. <laughs> like I had friends who were living the I loved my family I loved my host family mm-hmm. I, oh, I love them I call mama and papa I love them um but like I remember they were vegetarian but also not just vegetarian like they didn't use a lot of spices as like I was used to mm-hmm. but then my friends who lived different it did it depended on which like I guess um not tribe but um I guess I could call it tribe, like language or whatever, caste, whichever caste you're on. Mm-hmm. But they they cook differently. And my friend was living the life. I was like, she would come to school and I was like, man, you your food tastes delicious. <laughs> I was like, this is, not, this, is, this is what I'm used to. But it was funny because it was interesting because I was like, oh, wow, like not everybody does it the same way, which I didn't expect. But, you know, it was like even when you were going to eat out, it was like certain spots did it better than others as expected but it was just not what I expect like the Indian food 
in Kenya is better than the Indian food in India. And this is mm. after speaking. I learned this because I was like, yo, I spoke to an Indian girl, person and I was like, what is up with that? Like, it was not what I expected. It's like, yeah, the fusion of Kenya, like the Indian food in Kenya tastes so much better because it's infused with Kenya traditions mm. than the one in India. So I was like, oh, now that makes sense. Because <laughs> I was just like, oh, I was lied to my whole life. This is not, <laughs> it's not how it tasted when I was back home. Like, yeah. It was my favorite. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. It, and I think that was the first time I learned how things really just like evolve, like, how even though it's technically Indian food, even Indian food in America is different from Indian food in Kenya, right, which is different course. from Indian food in India, and how like they adapted to match the palates that are around here. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that's a cop out. Like we, we should not be adapting nothing because now I'm never gonna feel like I'm eating the real thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm never gonna feel like I'm eating like real stuff until I'm in that country because it's all a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's like when I went to... Oh, my gosh. I forgot. I did go to Paris this past spring. How did I forget that? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> but I went to... I'm sorry. I'm really rambling. No, but no. I went to Paris. Good. I went to Paris because I was like... I went on a solo trip to Paris for spring break. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to do this for myself. So 2018, a year of like growth and change, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And I ate this French food. And I was like, bro... <laughs> Why does everybody like French food? This is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, where are the flavors? I mean, I was upset. I don't think you understand how upset I was. Because I was sitting there eating this food. I'm texting like the group chat that I have with Brian and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, this food is disgusting. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, why is everybody always talking all these things? Everybody wants to eat French food. This thing does not taste right. Like, there was no flavors. There were no spices. I mean, I'm in this place. I never add salt to my food. Mm. Never add salt. I'm here, like, pouring on, like, laying on, laying it on thick, wow. like, salt and pepper, because that's all they had. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, like, I need more spices. And this food is bland. I just paid 20 euros, which is, like, $25 for this. I'm upset. Like, yeah. I'm angry. <laughs> I'm upset that this is happening. But yeah, it was like, I was like, whoa, this is a very stark contrast from what I was imagining. Mm-hmm. So after I think like five tries, I was like, all right, forget it. I'm just going to eat pastries and bread. And that's it. And live my <laughs> life. Because. <laughs> I mean, was it like. The paste... Oh, sorry. The pastries were delicious. Oh, no, it's okay. Was it what? <laughs> no, because uh, with Indian food, you would you know, had uh, an expectation of Indian food based on what you had in Kenya. Did you had you had French food somewhere else that led you to expect that French food was going to be a certain way? Or? Yeah, here. Like, you know, when you go to French restaurants here, they're like, ooh la la, French restaurants, very expensive. Mm-hmm. And like, you eat it, and it's okay. Like, it's good. Mm-hmm. But then I went there, and I was like, I've been lied to. This is not <laughs> what I ate. Not what I paid $100 for when I was in America. Like, <laughs> wow. I've been lied to. Um, and it was very different. But then, okay, it's funny because my friend, she knew, she knew how I felt about French food when I went to Paris. So the other day, she sent me a tweet. She texted me a tweet. Let me find it because it was so, it was so, so funny. <laughs> and it was this black girl. <laughs> it was this black girl who went to um to Paris, mm-hmm. and she said, "Oh no, it disappeared. She, I think she like blocked. Oh, it says the streets are protected." That's so unfair. Um, but it was funny because she was like, 
guys, Paris, I love y'all, but like, y'all don't know flavors? Like, there's like, <laughs> something lost to my effect. <laughs> and it was like, it was like nice city and all, but like, yo, where's the flavor? Mm-hmm. Um, and some people were going down the list. Like, I read through the, the comments and people were like, oh, like, go into the nooks and crannies. And that's where you'll find good food. Mm-hmm. And I did that one time. And I did find this one restaurant. Like, it was like in the nooks and crannies where, like, the food was all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was like, all right, cool. All right. They're right. But, like, these ones that are, you know, like, advertised, don't go there, guys. Yeah. Don't go to Paris. Do not, if you're a, a person of color and enjoy f- eating food, do not go to the main ones. Find the nooks and crannies yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> you will be disappointed yeah. <laughs> by the pastries and the chocolates and the wines oh best i've ever had mm-hmm. so good i lived off of them after a while because i got tired of paying 25 dollars for nothing um <laughs> and so yeah worth it yeah worth it it was so good i would i would fly to paris right now just to go eat those pastries like it's so good mm-hmm. <laughs> so good <laughs> Well, good it wasn't a total culinary disappointment when you went to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Culture-wise, though. Culture-wise, though. I was like, dang, these people are rude AF. Oh. <laughs> they do not like... If you don't speak French, they do not care. <laughs> they were like, oh, you're not French? All right, bye. Like, they were so rude. I was not ready for how rude they were. I was like, man, this is Paris. Shouldn't you be used to people not speaking French here? Like, shouldn't you be used to... Like, mm. foreigners come into, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like I was in the countryside. I'm in Paris. It's like right. the number one destination in the world. And y'all mad? Y'all still mad that we come in? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Excuse me, colonizer. <laughs> Why are you mad? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just I just came to see your city. I'm bringing you hell of revenue. And you mad? Like, come on. <laughs> I was upset. When you put it like that, it does sound extremely silly. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's, it's not right. Yeah. Like, it's stupid. Yeah. Like, I was like, and then, um, again, you know, you get to see how racism works, right? In this, mm-hmm. Europe, in, in, this, was, this is my first time in Europe. I had never been to Europe before. So I was like, um, you get to see how racism works in the systems and you, you see who works where and all the black people, how they're treated and, um, and just like the kind of jobs they have as opposed to like the kind of jobs that white people have um, or like French people, white French people have. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it's like, it's funny because, you know, around the World Cup, right? France won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, there was this whole conversation about like, oh, you only like us when we're bringing you accolades like right. black people, right? Yeah, because it was a mostly really African team, right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't really care for us mm-hmm. when we're just living our regular life. Like, for example, that man who saved that kid who um, almost fell from, like, I don't know if you know this story. Yeah, yeah. But there was, like, an uh, an African man, a black man, who saved this kid who was hanging out, like, from a, a balcony. Yeah. And he saved that kid and immediately got French uh, citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, like, that's really great. I'm glad he got that. He deserved it. But it's, like, man, yo... Y'all don't care for us if we're not doing some extraordinary, like, mm-hmm. saving lives and giving you World Cups type things, yeah. you know? Um, and, like, that was, like, that feeling was really heavy when I was there. Like, I really just felt it. And I was like, I was like, man, I want to come back to Paris, but, like, do I like y'all? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your food's not good. <laughs> and y'all are not nice. So, <laughs> I don't know if I want to come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's fair. Especially in terms of, like, um, having to be exceptional to be accepted. And not being able yeah. to just go about your own life. Um, right, but um, what was I gonna say? So you, you mentioned uh, host families, right? So were you with yeah. a host family in each of the countries you went to? Yes. Okay. Mhm. Mhm. That was I really I was blessed because I oh my gosh this is actually really interesting I can't believe I just came to this realization right now but um. I really loved my host families in India and South Africa. And mm-hmm. I think that's because, now that I'm looking back on it, um, there was, like, a cultural aspect to it. Yeah. Um, because I did not enjoy, um, not particularly enjoy my host family in Brazil. But I really loved my host families in, like, India and South Africa. And I'm grateful to all of them because you're opening up your house, obviously, to a complete stranger. Um, and, you know, that's and I'm very thankful and I'm very thankful and grateful to that for that um, but it was I think now I'm just realizing like the cultural thing is heavy because when I was in this uh, two other countries like I guess like the unification of being people of color kind of really helped me connect with them mm. um, and just really like have so much love for them because um, I really I really I really love my host families in both countries in those two countries then when I got to Brazil, it was just like, they were younger, so I was like, oh, they're younger, this is cool, I'm going to really connect with them, but then it was like, uh, mm, it was just like something blocking my, I, the, 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 yeah, I didn't, it was not a very good experience mm. for me, personally, um, but they were cool, they had this really, like, young four-year-old who I loved, she was so cute, she was mm. so much fun to talk to. Um, and, you know, like, she doesn't speak English, so it was really cool trying to decipher things, using mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sign language and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and I, not, obviously, I don't speak Portuguese, which I, I wish I had, but it's funny because Portuguese and Spanish are so similar, and at that point, my Spanish was a little bit more on point, so I could, like, you know, figure out some things, but um, I loved her. She was so much fun. She, like, really livened up uh, my experience. <clears throat> Because I love kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. It was cool. It was a good time. Yeah, so I stay with host families. I think it's the best thing because that's when you really get to experience um, the culture. Like, there's no, like, if you stay at a hotel, if you stay at a hostel, you don't really get to experience it fully. Mm-hmm. But when you stay with the people, I mean, it's still, it's still kind of a first, right? Because they can't always, there's still that wall, but it's much better than not having that yeah um so and that feeling you said the feeling of being with other people of color helped like enhance your experience when you were in south africa and india um Mm -hmm. was that not did you not feel that as well in brazil well my whole family was white brazilians okay we were uh and I, i was not expecting that because it's brazil like it's cultural it's a you know i don't i don't look at them and think um like I, I, I think color. I think POC right. people color, um, <clears throat> and so that was like I think I'm just now 
recognizing why there was that breakdown because mm-hmm. I could never understand. Um, but yeah, it was not. It was yeah. mm, that, that whole like um, hospitality thing did not exist with them. Like oh. it was not. That's what I'm saying. Like it mm. was very. They were cool and they did what they were supposed to do contractually, right? Like oh, they, I see. yeah. But it, that whole home feeling was absent, and that I only recognized in these houses that were of culture, like, mm-hmm. um, and that's like I think that's an element that we know it's mostly among cultural homes. That whole like hospitality and making sure you're okay, and providing an environment that's, um, you know, just warm. Yeah, it's a warm environment. That's most people of color. Sad to say, mm-hmm. but it is. So it's like, like when we talk about Kenyans, we know Kenyan hospitality is like one of the best. Like even um, my Arab friends, like like Brian and mm-hmm. them, like their hospitality is on another level. Like you know what I mean. <laughs> um, and even with like, so it, it was interesting because that that did not exist with the couple in Brazil. But when we went to the variety and stuff the people who are hosting us we didn't stay with host families but we were around like um people who would it it was like i don't know how to explain it but those people who are hosting us they were very very cool yeah um i really enjoyed them so it was interesting yeah and then uh go ahead did you change like so you were with your host family like for in Mm -hmm. brazil for instance were you with Mm -hmm. your host family the whole like time or did you switch halfway in between so we would arrive in the cities right and then a week into it go to the rural areas Mm -hmm. and come back to the city and stay the last week and then go somewhere else like or like the last couple days okay so it was they would hold our stuff they would hold our things Uh um and then we'd move on the only time that that didn't happen i think was in south africa because our rural stay was where we first started it was zolatemba it's considered rural because it's a township and there's no uh, other like rural area in the mm-hmm. best case. but yeah, we stayed in the township for two weeks. Then we went to Bullcap for two weeks. Okay, uh, but usually in Brazil and South Africa, it's like we get there for one and a half weeks or whatever. Then we go to the rural areas. Then we come back. Mm. Um, and okay. that's how that worked. Right. Yeah, and each of you, each of you had your own when you had when you were with the host families. None of you were coupled together. Each of you was like, oh no, we were coupled. We were always coupled. Some of us lived three uh, with three people. Sometimes it was two people. Okay, because it was it was uh, not an even number, or it was an even number, but the house host families they were not enough or something like that. Anyways, sometimes three of us lived together. Um, there was there were only three boys in this whole trip, so they always stayed together. Mm. Three boys. Okay. Um. Isn't that some, that's some, that's something? Because <laughs> boys don't do this, and it's like you really should care about the world. Y'all should really care about the world. Like, what is up with y'all? Um, <laughs> only three guys and like fifteen women. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so like they always stay together, and then the t- the with the girls, I think it would rotate how many would. It'd be two people, three people, two people, like that, and mm-hmm. then and but we never stayed with the same people. Like, it was not like I stayed with the same person in India. We always rotated. Yeah. And sometimes I was in a group of three and sometimes in a group of two. I was in a group of three only once. I think that's how they made sure that if you were in a group of three, that only happened once. And then 
um, the next time you'd be coupled, like it'd be two of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you said, well, okay, because you had said that you were kind of ready, looking forward to getting out of Lafayette because mm-hmm. you were kind of tired of being there, and yeah. so this was like a way to get out and see more places. Mm-hmm. But did you ever have any? Chemistry will do that to you. Huh? Chemistry will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I was tired of all of his organic chemistries, and I was like, "Dang, I really need, need to get out of here." But um, <laughs> like, as um, because you said that was your first time really traveling internationally. I'm yeah. wondering if you had any, um, I don't know, like any rookie mistakes as a traveler, or moments where you felt maybe, um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a, a little um. unsure because you weren't like used to you know, traveling internationally internationally like that at the time? Um, no, because we were chaperoned, so... Mm-hmm. Okay. It wasn't... Like, it wasn't... Um, there really wasn't anything in terms of, like, travel that was, oh, I should have done... Like, because everything was kind of... We had someone tell us, go... Like, we're all going here now. Mm-hmm. Like, go check in, go do this. So... It wasn't hard. Okay. Um, and, but I think culturally, of course, you always stumble. Um, but looking back, I'm not sure. I think just because of because I had been in in different countries, I've been in Kenya. Like I had some sort of basis on, yeah. like morals and stuff that a lot of these people would. I I knew that they would uh, adhere to. So, I didn't really have that, that happen. I know some of my people did. Um, I do, okay, I do remember, because we would have panels and stuff, mm-hmm. right, where we were talk whatever topics, we'd have, like, people within the community come in and ask questions and stuff like that. Um, and I think I was, when we were in South Africa, we were talking to a panel of men, Um and we were talking about sexual health because HIV is a huge thing in South mm-hmm. Africa. Um, and we are talking about sexual health and just, like, um, fathering and what that meant. And I remember just getting so, like, someone was like, um, oh, yeah, my goal in life is to have as many kids as possible. Like, this man said that. Mm-hmm. It triggered me because I was mm-hmm. like, you're not t- taking care of them. Right. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, so do you take care of the ones you have right now? Like, how does this work? And, <laughs> you know, people were like, I can't believe she asked that. And I'm sitting here like, I can. I can't believe I asked that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Right. And I think that just comes from, and for me, I felt like I, there was no room for, for um, what's the word I'm looking for? Okay. there's just I, there was no reason to like baby the situation mm-hmm. um because it's like no you need to understand because i have family with a lot of where the baby fathers are not are not present mm-hmm. right like i know how we like single mothers and all that they're mm-hmm. all up and down my family right so i'm sitting there like no you're messed up for that like mm-hmm. how dare you and it's like so you just want to keep spreading that seed yeah. and not take care of it are you dumb like <laughs> so <laughs> so i'm like coming from this mindset and also because like i've dealt with african men all my life mm. i feel like i i have the ability to do what i want mm-hmm. 
and question them because I have come from them. Yeah. I'm from them, you know? So they did, I didn't think they understood because I was the only one. I was the only, like, African in that whole... Oh, no, there was another one. There were three of us. But I was the only one who had grown up in Africa. Like, okay. all of them were like, Nigerians who were born in America mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but I was the only one who was, like, from Africa that moved to America, then, you know? But I'm sitting there and I'm like, nah, this is the same thing I would ask anybody in my right. vicinity who was a black man trying to spew this nonsense like you know <laughs> yeah so and they were like oh later on they were like you know we can't attack the world and, and it was just the students because like the teachers were on with me they didn't question what i said they mm-hmm. were just like well good for her she's bold enough yeah <laughs> to do that um but they were like you know like they're doing us a favor like these kids this my fellow students or whatever whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. they were like trying to like insinuate that I did something wrong and I was like I'm not apologizing for that like mm-hmm. I'm not gonna feel bad you're not gonna guilt me into feeling bad for questioning his morals right. hell no you know the one who's a single mother and has to deal with all of his nonsense mm-hmm. you're not so you can take that somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> fly me a kite yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah I think that was the only time where I, like culturally people were like oh my god mm-hmm. but for me, but usually it was it was the other other parties not understanding um, what's going on. Yeah, but it was it was just so hectic that there was not really much room for you to even make an error because you don't have time. Like right. you're constantly moving, you're exhausted. Um, mm-hmm. But it was such a it was such a good learning experience. I think honestly, like this sitting in a classroom stuff is for the birds. Like. <laughs> You don't learn. You don't learn. I'm telling you, you mm-hmm. don't learn as well as you do when you're out there living yeah. this life. And if there was a way to make sh- like this happen for everyone, even within America, where it's like, like you're not sitting in the classroom, you're out in the community. Like I think for public health, like the practicum I was talking about, where I went to Kenya, right? Yeah. Um, all of us have to do something, a practicum in the summer, where you um, use your skills that you've learned in the classroom mm-hmm. and put them in the work. Like that's how it should be. Because you learn so much more that way yeah. than you're learning about, like, oh, this is how you do an interview. Oh, this is how you, you know, I mean, there's obviously, like, you have to do classes for, um, if you want to do math, mm-hmm. got to learn it. If you want to do, like, um, programs and stuff, you got to learn it. Obviously, you got to sit in class. If you want to do some, for example, in neuroscience, when I was doing physics, and I had to learn all that. But obviously, my skills didn't matter until I had like my laboratory experience which I did right yeah. I was in labs I was doing research stuff like that so like I think like that's so important and I think in America we miss that actually everywhere we miss that mm-hmm. but um, in our classrooms we just sit in there and you just throwing things at you that you're never going to use or ever going to um, require and even if you do it's like not at the same capacity like I went to I was like a top 20% top 10% actually at my school in high school mm-hmm. and you know I'm like one of the top achieving students and all of that like I have a 4.0 mm-hmm. I'm doing sports whatever taking AP classes whatever then I went to college and I was like man Eastern really set me up for failure because mm-hmm. it's the first time where I felt like I was not up to part and I think this happens to a lot of kids who go especially people of color who go from like public schools to like these high um, high institutions that are like at the top you know yeah. like if you go to like you know the well-known ones or if you go to like school like Lafayette which is high achieving if you go to this high achieving um, places and you're coming from like a background like a public you they don't they don't set you up for success they set you up for failure hmm. um, 
and it's like you either you either have to be intrinsically smart like you're just innately smart or you have to have a good background where the, the they taught you well and mm-hmm. I was lucky because I um, I'm intrinsically smart I'm innately smart mm-hmm. um, and I have that Kenyan background from being in Kenya at the school so like I had that work ethic yeah that I think is not built here like I'm telling you I skated through high school it's so easy for me um, and I felt it's because like they don't it's like a different system it's not the same as back home um, and so I had that I was lucky because I had that background so I could pull from something yeah I could pull from something that I was, was like okay all right I gotta go back to thinking how I used to think when I was in Kenya and like you know study <laughs> yeah. that hard and like read a textbook or two <laughs> maybe a page <laughs> like you know what I mean like <laughs> so <laughs> That's when I was like, okay, it's not it's not a joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I, everybody that that experience was good because I really understood how important it is to have like real world experiences rather than just sitting in front of a classroom. Yeah. Um, and even right now, like for example, with my degree, I went to Emory, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the top like eight uh, public health schools in the country. Can I tell you honestly what I've learned? No. I can't. What I've learned is mostly being from discussions and from like real world experiences mm-hmm. and from like being able to apply that through my practicum or like my job. Yeah. Um, not so much anything that I sat in a classroom and I mean like there's those hardcore skills like SAS or like um, using certain programs if you take those programming classes. Absolutely. But other than that, I just, I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was me. Maybe I chose the wrong classes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense how learning is is, is done in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't know what other countries where it's like, not in a classroom, but something has changed. This program really changed my idea of learning and how it works. Yeah. Because we had, we had a lot of assignments, absolutely, where we had to write, like, reflections and stuff, and stuff but we didn't have, like, five-page essays and we didn't have like um you know this intense um assignments that we had to do that Mm -hmm. did not like we had for example we did a case study so we picked what one of the topics whatever if it was like maternal child health if it was um if it was like uh environmental health if it was like so we picked one of the pillars right Mm -hmm. and we were like so mine was childhood obesity childhood malnutrition or whatever like childhood nutrition mm-hmm. um and we had to come up with a question ourselves that we wanted to ask throughout all three countries and we did like a case study and we'd go to these countries and we had a set of questions that we asked different people at different positions different levels um in the country like your homestay family and then like let's say like the minister of health or whatever whatever like we had those different levels and we could ask them questions about um our t- topics mm-hmm. and like so we had to do that. But that was like a real world thing, right? We we're not just sitting in a classroom. Like we had to go out into the community. We had to go. We were learning interviewing skills practically, right? Yeah. We were learning how to do it. And it was just like, we had, it was such a good experience because I learned so much from that as opposed to me now going to public health schools and sitting in a classroom and being told, oh, write an interview guide. And it's like, this is how you write an interview guide. Cool. But I do not need a whole semester to learn how to write mm-hmm. an interview guide. Like yeah. I do not need a whole semester for you. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, I don't know it's like things like that, that yeah. <laughs> but that real world experience is really important so I mean that's a really good point that yeah. you make 
Um, and it's good that you mentioned your, your practicum because I was wondering um, your motivation for choosing to do your practicum in Kenya. Was it because you had wanted to go back home or was it because, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the since so much research is focused there, uh, was that the greater motivation for you? or? Um, my motivation was definitely to go back home, but also, where is my, do I want dying soon? Okay. My motivation, yes, it was to go back home, mm-hmm. but, um, at the same time, it's like, it was just so much easier for me to find something that was to do, like I said, yeah. a lot of research is done in Kenya, so it's so much easier for me to find something that was in Kenya than anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, but yes, no, I was mostly driven by the fact that it was in my, in my country, and it was, uh, it pertained to an issue that had not really been explored before at the level that this research was being done. Mm-hmm. So that was intriguing. And I just really liked my boss. Like, um, I think with he's Indian. Um, no, was he Indian? Or no, he's Indian. Or Pakistani. One of them. Because mm-hmm. um, I think his wife was Pakistani and he was Indian. Anyways, he's Indian and he's like very like well known in the vaccine world and mm-hmm. um and he's just very nice. He's just, he like he like mentors people really well. Like he he creates opportunities for you to learn. And so originally there was not a, a my position did not allow for me to go to Kenya and then actually do the interviews. I was just like supposed to be doing the analysis with like my two other coworkers, mm-hmm. but then he created a space for me to go home and actually like go do the interviews myself and meet these people and being on ground on you know mm-hmm. and that was such a good experience and i think he he did he didn't have to spend that extra money extra four thousand dollars or whatever mm-hmm. to do that for me but he did yeah um and like that was amazing for me um and so yeah i think just because of that i did it um but it wasn't because it wasn't it was very much fueled by the fact that I'm Kenyan yeah. that I wanted to do it. Yeah. Mm. That's good. That's good. Yeah, because like Brian went to Palestine, mm-hmm. and he's Palestinian, so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot of us tried to go back to where we were. I I feel like I remember a lot of us trying to to work where we were from. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I think with you and with with Brian as well it's not like you'd been able to go back for leisure or like or go back yeah. very often so having this opportunity yeah. as part of your own um your like your passion or your studies to be able to go back to where you come from to to work and to to learn that must be really special you know yeah and actually like at first I wasn't supposed to go at all like mm-hmm. It was just like I was getting data from Kenya, and I was like, "All right, at least this is gonna help my people at some in some at some capacity." Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I was excited about that. But um, the whole like you you're gonna get to go happened after I'd already been working. Mm-hmm. Like, because I had told them initially, my initial plan was for me to just go create my own research and go back and figure it out. Yeah. But it was just you know, um, and so then. Um, I signed on to this, into this practicum, and 
I told them, yeah, I already have a ticket booked and all of that. And they were like, all right, we'll see if we can, like, integrate and make it make it work so that you can get to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, no, you actually cannot get to do that. Do you still want to do it? And I was like, it's okay. I'm fine just staying in America and doing the, the work. And then halfway through, they were like, you know what? Actually, we can get, you can go. We got <laughs> something for you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, Yay. thank you. And I think it's the first time I learned the importance of, like, just being transparent about, like, your desires, even though, like, this, because if I had not asked those questions before, if I had not said this is what I want, like, they never would have known. If mm-hmm. I had just been, like, quiet and not said that this is something I'm looking forward to, even though it was not in the job description, like, it was nowhere in the job description, Yeah. Um, I, never, I probably never would have gotten that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, that's, that's what I'm on. Yeah. That's how I ended up there. <laughs> and um okay so about the the study abroad program that you did or I guess about the practicum too because I'm not really sure how it goes in terms of like like financially but like did you get Uh any assistance uh, funding um like oh goodness funding wise did you get any assistance that allows you to participate in your study abroad program or in your practicum if that's applicable yeah okay so um for the study abroad, how Lafayette does it is they pay what you would have paid for. If your program is within the budgets of, like, the amount of money you pay in the semester, mm-hmm. like, that money goes to that program, right? Like, because so, you're not in school, whatever whatever um, systems you have in place to pay for your tuition for that mm-hmm. semester, it goes to the study abroad program that yeah. you're going to go into, right? Mm-hmm. So, for me luckily or unluckily um my tuition was way above the requirements of my study abroad so my tuition covered the costs of the study abroad program Mm. um now i think lafayette should have definitely given me um like a stipend of some sort because so much money was not going to anything it was just staying up yet because that's their policy oh man Um, yeah right so and i didn't get that but um, so, like, that was a really, really huge frustration because I was just like, man, I'm paying for all these vaccines out of pocket. That money could have been used to, like, pay for those vaccines. Mm-hmm. That money could, you know what I mean? Um, but, no, it was fine because in the end, um, I didn't really have, I, I think the only thing I had to come up with was my pocket money okay. when I'm traveling. Um, but the cost of it was covered because my tuition for Lafayette is, like, so much higher than what was needed for that program right um for the practicum i was lucky because they paid for everything oh with my lodging everything yeah because it's a paid position Mm -hmm. so the position was a paid position so they decided that if i like i go they're gonna pay for everything they paid for everything because i was working Mm -hmm. and that's how that typically goes (laughs) so yeah um I, I think I've just been that was just a blessing because I was trying to go do the same thing but out of pocket mm-hmm. so um, yeah yeah that was a blessing yeah well it's good it worked out for you um you know both times yeah. like you didn't have to it wasn't a huge financial burden that you have to you had to worry about you know yeah um, thank god yeah because yeah. <laughs> I was just like I don't know how I'm gonna pull this off and I need this hours and I just I didn't know what I was gonna do Mm-hmm. Um, cause things are just not working out, but yeah, it turned out, it turned out for the best. Like it really worked in my best favor. Um, mm-hmm. and this year 
like now that I'm going to Ethiopia again is that I work in capacity, so obviously they're paying for right. everything. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Were you looking to um, move internationally? Like when you were looking for mm-hmm. jobs, were you trying to go to Ethiopia specifically or were you kind of just open to whatever you could get and ended up being in Ethiopia? Yeah, the latter. Oh, okay. It was more the um, and I applied to a lot of jobs even within, like, after a while I was like, because I was looking at the jobs that were out there and I was like, what what jobs are there right now that I can do this? Mm-hmm. And there aren't that many, not good ones anyways. So I was having a hard time finding some, because I missed, like, this felt like, I missed the time when we had, there's a fellowship period where you apply to this global health fellowship. Actually, I need to apply to one today, but... <laughs> Um, there's this period of time where all these global health fellowships are open and you apply to them mm-hmm. and I missed that period um, due to personal reasons so I didn't apply to any of them and when, it was trying, when I was trying to get jobs that kind of like had the same level of like like, like the job that I had over the summer mm-hmm. last, last summer for my practicum when I was trying to find similar jobs that required me to do analysis and coordinating whatever but also have opportunities to go back those positions were really hard to get. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really hard to get. Um, and 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 you know, I didn't really care for much else. Because um, at first it was like, I want to go abroad. And then I missed that period. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to go abroad. Maybe I'll work in a capacity that allows me to go for my position. Mm-hmm. But most of it is based here. Um, and so I looked for a lot of those types of positions. And they were really hard to get. And one of them was really playing with my mind. And I was just like, listen, I can keep it. Mm-hmm. Um and then I got this one, and this is a completely different. It's like a, a completely different um, level. Um, it's it's not research oriented. It's just you know, it's really the type of work I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really good. I I think again everything aligned um, how it was supposed to. Yeah. Um, and so then, because had I gotten the other ones, I wouldn't have. I would. I think I would have been stuck in the research world. And I don't really want to do that. Yeah. Um, so this is good. And I'm really, I'm like really looking forward to it. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's um. very exciting. <laughs> um, and I'll be yeah. out of the snow. Thank you, Jesus. Out of the snow. So <laughs> My God. I can't wait to get, get out of here. It's so cold. <laughs> It's so cold. Yesterday, <laughs> the other day, I walked outside, and I was like, "Nope, nope, this gym situation not happening. I'm going back in. Like, it's, I'm just not. I'm not doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you won't have to deal with that anymore. Not doing it. Mm-hmm. A couple more questions for you. Um, okay. You've been to a lot of places uh, mm-hmm. so far, um, but thinking about your, you know, study abroad experience and your practicum. Um, do you have any major takeaways or advice for anyone looking to travel to those places or maybe um, just abroad in general yeah I think if you're in college definitely take advantage of all the abroad opportunities it's going to change your life like mm-hmm. make sure when I got to Lafayette it's something that somebody told me they were like you're paying too much money to not use this yeah. somehow right like go abroad and originally, I was actually going to go from that program and come back and then that summer go to England and do a public health program. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but then it just the, like it, the it didn't work out because I the visa stuff. They were like, oh, you have to do this, and I was like, I don't know where I'll be. In hindsight, I would have been able to fulfill all of those things, but um, so I never ended up going to London. But it was the one thing that someone told me was like, you pay too much money um, for you to not utilize those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Definitely make sure you go abroad. And I should have done that. I have friends from Lafayette, people I know who went for a whole year abroad. Like, mm-hmm. they went from one program to a different program. And, like, I know people who went to multiple countries. Um, it's like, if it allows, if it allows your schedule, um, if your schedule allows you to do that, do it. If it's within your major, even better. I think for me, I had the restriction of the fact that my major was not one that, uh, that allowed for all of that, right? Mm-hmm. All that traveling and stuff. Um but if you have a major that does, like a political science major or something like that, that you can find, you can easily find programs that allow you to go abroad, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and do that and use, and really use college for that time. Like, it's the only time you will get where things will align for you, where it's like you're not worried about finances too much, mm-hmm. you're not worried about having kids and family and none of, like, it's the time to do it. So I would advise everybody to do it. If it's within your budget and if your school kind of like does like my school where it's like your finances that should have paid for your tuition, pay for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, if you if you find funding, there's a lot of funding out there um, that you could Google and find for them to help you go abroad. Um, and also always just, just think outside the box. So like for my program, I was lucky that it was an existing program that Lafayette was... Um, affiliated with Mm -hmm. but like one of the girls on my trip she was like my school never had this and I had to set up the system myself and you know make those connections and I was like that you know good good for you because I'm not sure it took so much work just for me to do it Mm -hmm. even with it being already affiliated I can't imagine how much work it would take for you to start the whole thing Mm -hmm. um but yeah you know it's as much work as you want to put into it you'll get it done so just do it um I think also you should just be I think don't 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 listen to people's fear of X Y and Z. Yeah. Um if it feels right it's going to be right. Um because anywhere in this world is dangerous and that's a fact. Like mm-hmm. I could walk outside my house and get shot, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and so as long as it's like there's no like civil you know, disengagement or, you know, riots and stuff going on, go, go there, like, (laughs) go where you want to go, visit, um, because you only live once, and if you let fear, like, dictate where you take jobs or you go, like, you're you're never going to end up doing anything, yeah, um, and so I just, I don't let fear do that at all, like, I do what I want to (laughs) do, and, if I'm alive, that's good. That's great. Mm-hmm. If not, well, I lived well. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like I enjoyed my time on Earth. Yeah. So, um, and that, that's really all my and I'm, and this is not to say like be careless and go to like war zones. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not advisable. Mm-hmm. But if it's not a war zone, if it's not a, a country that is constantly you know being attacked and stuff like that, then do it. I think it's funny because even, you know, when we think of the Middle East, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, that place is dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Because there's, like, all of this stuff that's happening. But my friend was talking, like, again, one of our friends, mutual friends with Brian, she was mm-hmm. talking about how she wants to go, I think, to Iraq. And I was like, what? 
and she was like no like she's from Iraq and she was like my family's there and it's cool like mm-hmm. that you you can definitely go and be okay and I was like okay I mean that's why I had to like really twist my head because like remember I'm black so mm, yeah <laughs> you need to remember that part, <laughs> that part um and I think that's like my biggest thing for me is I, it's just the realization that no matter where I go my skin is gonna be a target yeah um and so I really, I really consider that, and I think that's why I mostly travel within Africa because I can blend in. Um, but when it comes to going to like South America, Europe, Middle East, whatever, um, I always have to think about my skin color and my gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's 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 important to note. But um, at the same time, I'm not gonna let that restrict me. Yeah. Right? Like I'm not. So. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I would say. Yeah, that's all really good advice, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It is a shame that, you know, because I totally get where you're coming from in terms of always having to be aware of, like, your skin color and your gender when you go places. But, um, you know, it's good that you're still, you know, trying to get out there and see places and, um, mm-hmm. you know, keep things in mind, but don't let it, uh, you know, hold you back too much. So, um Okay, and so then last question is, is there a way that people can reach you or keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Um, I mean, if they want to. Oh, yeah, you did ask for a picture of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I know where they are, actually, no lie. But, um, yes, I mean, I guess in my Instagram, <laughs> it's this way. It's called Necessary Noise, N-E-C-E-S-S-A-R-Y-N-O-I-S-E, like together, Necessary mm-hmm. Noise. Um, or you could just Google like Stacy Kenya, S-T-A-C-Y-K-E-N-Y-A, as like my name on there, mm-hmm. Stacy Kenya, because I'm from Kenya, duh. <laughs> um, and so uh, that's, that's one way that they can reach me if they want to. Um, I do have to say that there's like a lot of feminist content on my stories. So if you're a misogynist, you're not gonna like it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's very radical. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's one way. And I think another way, maybe through my email if they want to. Mm. But I'm definitely less likely to use that as a mode of communication if it's just like trying to figure out what to do for advice like honestly instagram is probably the best way to reach me okay all right because my my email is like very formal it's very much like jobs and yeah you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah Um, i get that okay so instagram would be the best way yeah Yeah. because if it's like if it's at a social capacity like yeah i just need advice of this then yeah but if it's um if it's serious if you're looking to hire me girl or boy (laughs) <laughs> my, my email <laughs> you can use my email okay <laughs> <laughs> all right and that's the alumni one that yes okay gotcha yes alumni right but she used yeah. okay all right well uh thank you so much it's been so nice uh i'm glad to have been able to meet you today and it's been so nice um hearing thank all the you. things you have to say about your experiences um uh, yeah, this was really great. I hope you've enjoyed uh, our time discussing as well. And uh, I did. <laughs> it was and, great. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, yeah. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. 
and um yeah i hope you enjoy the rest of your friday and your weekend and preparing for your move and all that i hope all that goes well me too yeah (laughs) (laughs) enjoy your weekend all right you too talk to you later okay Okay. bye Bye. (laughs) all right y'all there it is thanks to stacy for being such a wonderful guest Good luck with your move and your new start in Ethiopia, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gibson and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you like what you've been hearing so far, please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next episode, uh, just a little note, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, which was the final episode of 2018, um, I decided to switch to a bi-weekly release schedule. So you have a new episode of Young Gifted and Abroad today. Two weeks from today will be another new episode. Two weeks from then will be another new episode and so on and so forth. So every other week, two episodes a month. uh, That's what we're rolling with for now. So two weeks from now, (laughs) you can expect to hear from my aunt. Um, She's very special to me, very special to our family as a whole. And she studied abroad in Paris as part of her MBA program. So you get to hear all about the two weeks she spent in Paris studying business. Um, She is a treat and that is putting it lightly. (laughs) So lots to look forward to um, in two weeks. (laughs) But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Hello.